wait for my room. <laughs> Yala, ladies, should we wait for them? We can wait. We're gonna get started. Okay, we're gonna get started in that. We're gonna, okay, first of all, this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. Okay, so next Thursday and Friday is going to be Rosh Chodesh Tamas. So this week, we also, in addition to everything else, we're also going to talk a little bit about the transition from the month, from month to month. What? What? Ah, oh, birthday month. Okay, we have a happy birthday month going on over here. So this week is, in fact, Charles Mavarchim. For anybody who has a custom of saying Tehillim, that's a, here's the reminder on Wednesday to prep yourself for Shabbos that you want to, you know, if you want to do this, this is going to be uh, something that takes reminders. What? It's crazy. The Parsha Shlach. Shlach, Shlach. Chapter 13. It starts at the beginning of the chapter. So first of all, yes, it's Shabbos and Barakim. Second of all, it's Parsha Shlach. And it's so interesting that this is the last Parsha that we're learning together in person. It's right. So crazy. Okay. So here's the thing. Parsha Shlach has a few themes. It has a few themes, but uh, we could actually cover the whole thing very quickly. I, is that super ambitious of me? I hope so. I, not really. Uh, we're, we're, what? We get there. So, so here's the thing. The first three aliyahs of, of Parsha Shlach deal with the spies, and we're going to come back to them. Okay, we're going to get back to this. We're just skipping that whole situation over here. And we're going to go and see what happens actually more uh, later. The end of, sorry, goes till the fourth Aliyah. And then what happens in chapter 15, we're, so we're skipping for a second, hold your marker. In chapter 15, we have the conversation, Hashem says to Moshe, to speak to the Jewish people, when you come to the land, I mean, when you come to the land of Israel, uh, you're going to, um, and you bring a sacrifice, Hashem, there's something called Nisachim, there's an additional uh, thing, then that's not a nice word, an additional offering, that's a better word, that one gives along with the sacrifice. When we give a sacrifice, that is a nidava. It's, it's not a sin offering. It's not on that line. It's on the Thanksgiving and, you know, those kind of sacrifices. Um, uh, we, there's something called mesachim. We have an addition. We have wine libations. We have meal. We have oil. Different things that get, sorry, that get brought in addition to the sacrifice. And the next bunch the end of this aliyah and the next, the beginning of the next aliyah is going to, is going to talk about different animals and what kind of libations you would bring along with the sacrifice. Interesting little factoid is that we do not bring wine libations in the desert. So the, we know, here's a spoiler. I know, I'm sorry for ruining the story for everybody, but the beginning of the parsha is going to be the lead in to the Jews staying in the desert for the next 38 years. I know if you didn't see the movie yet, I just ruined it for you, but here you have it. Um, but so then in the net for the next 38 years, they will not be bringing wine libations. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well. And then we have, um, yes, a wine libation is an addition offering of wine. Meaning I'm going to bring, uh, I'm going to bring a goat or a cow or whatever. And I also bring an amount of wine and oil that get poured on the altar. And it goes, if you, if you have any, like anybody ever learn about how the altar is built? Roughly, so it's 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 flat and it has like, I mean, to make a really bad comparison, it's kind of similarly built to um, a billiards table where there's things on the side where things drip down. Okay, so because there's a lot of blood and stuff, and it has there has to be runoff for it. So you would, but you also would pour wine on the altar. So it's brought on the altar, but it doesn't necessarily get consumed. But it would run through the altar and come out at the bottom. Interesting little bit of information. So you have wine and oil that gets libation it gets poured onto the altar but it doesn't act so it's considered a sacrifice um once it comes through the mizbeach once it comes through the altar they're actually allowed it's it's no longer considered holy and um and it could be used but it has to be sold and the the gemara tells us that they used to sell the runoff of the wine and the and the oil um for for fertilizer and it was it was considered very very like it was very special. It enhanced the produce and whatever. So people had to buy it, but you couldn't take it from the temple because then that's using temple property you know, unlawfully. So you could, but you could buy it and exactly. So you could buy it and then they would use it for fertilizer and it was supposed to be very, 
very amazing. So I, I don't know if that's only on the practical level or it's also on the spiritual level, like you're pouring sacrifice runoff on your things and it makes it special. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. I thought that was an interesting thing. So we don't bring libations in the desert. Then we have the mitzvah. One second. I lost my place. I think I turned too many pages at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So Hamishi starts about the more animals and what we do. Then we have Shishi, the sixth, uh, the sixth, the, the sixth Aliyah. We have the mitzvah of challah. When you bake a dough, um, and this, it's interesting. This is, it says, when you get to, when you come to the land and you eat from the dough, you should bring a sacrifice to Hashem. And we have the mitzvah of challah. We know today the challah that we bring is a, a zecher. It's a remembrance of what was done then. And there was a Gemara gives different ratios. A private baker gives this amount and a professional baker gives this amount and whatever. And today we just take a, Sarah, today we, we, uh, we take off a little bit and we burn it, but then they actually made, they would bring the challah to the Kohen and they would give it to, as a gift to the Kohen and then it had to be eaten in, in holiness. Again, interesting. So today when we take, when we bake challah and we take off a little bit of the dough, it's, uh, we don't actually eat that. Today, what do we do with that dough? We burn, we burn it, right? Back in temple times, they would give a portion of their dough to the local Kohen or to whichever Kohen they liked. And the Kohen would eat it in sanctity. It was considered one of the gifts, one of the matmakun, one of the gifts to the Kohen. So today we don't give it to the Kohen because they can't eat it in, in holiness because we have no temple. You know, that, that whole circular thing, we all, we all have this kind of come in contact with the dead at some point in our lives. And so therefore we are, we can't eat and we can't partake of anything that's holy. We can't, you know, so we can't eat the kohanim, can't eat it. So the challah that we take today is only a, a zecher. It's a, a member, a remembrance of what the Jews did once upon a time. Um, um, and what's another interesting thing is that the mitzvah of challah comes into effect as soon as they come into the land of Israel meaning we know that it's, it's going to take 14 years for the Jews to conquer and divide the land of Israel. It's going to take seven years for them to conquer it, seven years for them to divide it. So all the Shemitah counts don't start till after that 14-year period. So really year 15 is going to be year one for Shemitah count. For Shemitah and, Jub and Jubilee, all those things are only going to count later, but the Chala is going to come into effect. Why? Sorry, that was really aggressive. No, no. Why does it not count? Yeah, because they haven't like, separated them. What? What's the one? The, the reason we don't count Shemitah is because we, until all of Israel is settled in their space, yeah. I don't get to say thank you for what I have. If you don't have your portion, and you don't have your portion, and you don't have your portion, so until the entire nation is settled in their land, and that's going to take the, the 14 years of conquering the land and dividing the land so then at that, that point everybody settled and now now we can all say thank you together that place of me being grateful for what i have when you're not not necessarily starving maybe starving but even being in that unsettled place is is considered an un-jewish behavior it's it has. It's awesome. that's so cute every jew like to every jew belongs yes 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 yeah, yeah, we have, we, we have it, we're going to get it. Um, so, so, but the challah, the mitzvah of challah starts immediately. That's not contingent on the land being settled. It's, con it's contingent on being in the land, okay? So challah is going to start as soon as they come in. And we have, uh, we have we're not going to, oh, how are we going to, uh, I have my watchers, whatever. I don't know if we're going to get into challah this time. Maybe we'll do challah another time. I don't know. Today, I don't think we're going to do now. Okay, so we have challah. Then we have a story of uh, what happens if everybody inadvertently does something that is that is connected to idol worship. If the if the basin tells us that this practice is okay, and it turns out that this practice is not okay, turns out it is in fact idol worship. What is the sacrifice that we bring? If a person does it inadvertently, if the community does it in, inadvertently, say that six times quickly. Um, so then we have the, the, over here, we have the laws of, uh, of sacrifices that we would bring for Avodazara. Okay. Then we have, then we have uh, in verse 32, we have a story of, um, of, of, where the Jews are in the desert and there is a person, a man goes out, Mekoshish eats in Biyom HaShabbat. 
He goes out and he's gathered. Well, I'm going to say gathering because it's the easiest way to translate it. Um, there's a question of what he was actually doing. Was he cutting trees? Was he cut? Was he gathering sticks? Whatever on Shabbos, and they um, and they they everybody you know they call him together. They take him and they don't know what to do with him. And it turns out that this is the first person who is in fact going to be killed for not keeping Shabbos. Okay, now I want to put a disclaimer out there. It's very hard to get killed for not keeping Shabbos. Okay, I'm just saying, it's not like we leave the bathroom, flick the lights on, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. It doesn't work like that. Um, and there's a, we're, we're gonna hopefully, we're gonna, I wanna talk about this for a second. Um, the la- but actually, I wanna first finish the parsha. And then the last thing that we have in the parsha is the mitzvah of tzitzis. The, now, the mitzvah of tzitzis, there's actually no mitzvah, just to clarify, there's no mitzvah to actually, from the Torah, there's no mitzvah to wear tzitzis. If you have a four-cornered garment, it needs to have tzitzis. Now, since since from in the so that's how it goes from the Torah. The the rabbis have instituted. You see people all the time walking around with a talit katan, right? A small garment that is made specifically to carry the fringes, and they make a bracha on that. Um, just a, again, another interesting fact, right? If somebody wears a talit gadol, they wear a large, a regular talis. They don't make a bracha on both. They only make the tal- the bracha on the big talis, not on the, not on this one. Tzitzit. Well, we call them tzitzit, but the tzitzit are actually the strings. The tzitzit are the strings. So the begging is the garment. It's a four-cornered garment that's made so you could have tzitzit. Right. So Meaning from the Torah, from the Torah, it works backwards. If I had a four-cornered garment, I need to put fringes on it. And in classic minor fashion, I have seen people with ponchos that have tzitzit on it. When you wear a button-up shirt, that's kind of four-cornered. Not really. It, it's like a, like a tuxedo. How the, the way, how something is cut. Like, cause it's cut in the back? If it's cut in the back, a, a shirt, a button-up, a button-down shirt, it's not four corners. The back is all connected. So you only have two corners. But, but there's like cuts sometimes here. So I so so I don't know the exact parameters of what how it's what's constant. I think it has to be cut up a certain height. You, you'll notice that you you so you'll notice that the if you know men who wear kapata, that is by definition a four cornered garment. But one of them one of them is rounded, so that they don't they don't have to wear tzitzis on it. Okay, but we do know that the, that for davani, they when men say they say shema, they use the tzitzis. They kiss it, whatever. I don't know exactly. I was just reading Hayyam Miriam today about how you have to hold it and take these two. And when you say these words, and then you add another one, and then I was like, this is not so relevant to me. So I'm going to just kind of like, <laughs> no, that's give it. That's give it. I'm like, it, I read through it and it's like, it, was a, it wasn't Chinese. It just didn't resonate so well with me. Yeah. But there you have it. But it was like, it was cool. It's like, here, it's in this week's Parsha. So that was a nice connection. So yay, we finished the whole Parsha. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? Um, uh let's start let's start from the beginning let's go back to the beginning let's look at the, what happens with the spies now in order to fully appreciate the story of the spies we need somebody who also has a full flumish to look in divarim oh this is going to go too far flumish divarim in divarim in divarim in the beginning uh, we the where Moshe gives over. Okay, when Moshe gives over, it's twenty-two, chapter one, verse twenty-two. When Moshe gives over the Torah, in 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 Deuteronomy, he repeats the history and what happened. He gives another version of the spy story because if you look in, let's start for a second. If you look in our part, hold on. If you found Deuteronomy, hold on to that for a second. But let's hope. So we're going to have one hand on Deuteronomy, one hand over here in Shlach. So Shlach starts off, Hashem says to Moshe, Shlach lecha anashim, send people for you via sur es eretz kenan or via tur eretz kenan. And they will, what is via tur? And they will tour, right? Like a tayar, you're a tourist, you have, you have a, right? You're going to go, go, go on a birthright trip. Okay, go on a trip to Eretz Canaan that I'm giving to the Jewish people, one person per tribe, 
send kol nasibahim. We are not sending slouches. We're not saying who in the shuk has nothing else to do. You know, let's interrupt your sheshbesh game and let's go check this out. We're taking top level people to come do this, to come do this thing. Okay, now I hold here for a second. If you look in Deuteronomy in verse 22, what is, how does Moshe describe the same situation? 22, verse 22, chapter one, verse 22. You shall not see. No, no, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, chapter one. Oh, chapter, one. chapter one, verse 22. What, all of your pushing. Wait, wait, yeah, let, let's hear Sylvie, because I want to hear her accent. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, nobody ever says that to me. Oh, I'd love to hear your Brooklyn accent a little bit more. <laughs> okay, go. Uh, so, how does Moshe describe this this same story? Days. Chapter twenty-two, uh, verse twenty-two. Sorry, so it's okay. Chapter one, verse twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of you approach me and say, "Let us send men ahead of us, and let them spy out." Our demand and bring word back to us. The road on which we shall ascend and the cities to which we shall come. Okay, keep going. The idea was good in my eyes, so I took you from twelve men, one man for each each tribe. They turned and ascended the mountain and came unto the valley of Shfol and spied it out. And spied it out there. Okay, now they, pause. We're going to pause a second. That's a different conversation. That's a different scenario than go on a birthright trip, right? That's a very different thing. Exactly. So first of all, the first thing, it's like, it's like the people's initiative. Hey, we should do this. Now, now think for a second. The Jews left Egypt a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, right? We forget the time frame. We forget how much change has happened in their lives in such a short amount of time. We're like, oh my gosh, these people, like what's with them? They left Egypt. This is, this is uh, like a year and a half after they left Egypt, right? They bet, they've been at, it took them 40, 49 days to get to Sinai. They've been at Sinai just under a year. Okay, so that's like a year and a month. And then they had a little bit of traveling after and this and maybe like a month over here. And this is like a very quick thing. So imagine for a second, okay? They're at the banks of, of, of the land of Israel. They're in the Sinai Desert and it's time to go in. Now, what do we do? Now, how do we do it? So the Ramban, Nachmanides actually tells us that both of these stories kind of happen together. Where Moshe is telling us the version that the people came and said, listen, we're supposed to go into this, into this, into the land. How are we supposed to do this? What is it supposed to look like? We don't know what we're supposed to do. We have to go and conquer this land. Let's figure this out. Okay. And now if you, but, but if you look in the first telling of the story, Hashem says to Moshe, send people for yourself, okay, and go check out the land, okay? And what, is, what does Rashi say? Rashi says, why do we have the story of, first of all, he says, why do you have the story of the Miraglim next to the story of the, of the spies next to Miriam? Because they should have learned from Miriam. Miriam just ended up getting Saras because she spoke about her brother. She spoke, right? She got, uh, I don't want to say leprosy. She got Saras, we'll leave it at that. And, and, and these people didn't learn a lesson from her, from what happened to her, and they should have. And the next thing, Hashem says to Moshe, do what you think. Whatever you think is the right thing to do. Now, there's a place that we kind of, that for us looks a little red flaggy. What do you mean, what should I, what, what you should do? Like, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? So, Ramban says we need to combine this combine the two stories. The people came to motion, they said, We need to like figure this out. We need to go send spies, we need to see what's happening. And and then he said, but but it also ends up coming somehow not totally from Hashem, because Hashem saying to Moshe, do what you think is the right thing to do. But the Torah does say Hashem says to Moshe, send send spies, send, send people. He doesn't say send spies. thinks it's a good idea now at the same time we're going to take a look we start to count all the who who gets counted and who's part of it we have the names of all the people who go and we have over here um uh where is it okay in verse uh 
16. These are the names of all the people that Moshe sent. Latur et Haaretz, again, to travel, to visit. They're not called spies here. They're not called spies. They're called tourists. Yeah, they're called tourists. They're going to check it out. And he also, it also comes that Vayikra Moshe Lahosheya Binun Yehoshua. Now we have always heard about Joshua, but here's really where his name is going to get changed. He used to be Hosea and his name becomes Yehoshua. And Rashi says, why? Why is Moshe changing his name? So Moshe says, so Rashi says, sorry, Moshe is praying for Joshua. Hashem should save you from the advice of the Meraglim. Okay, so here's red flag number two, right? First Hashem says, do whatever you think you should do. Then he said, then Moshe's changing Yoshua's name because he sees there's some kind of etzah, there's some kind of idea that these people, they're now here, Rashi's calling them Meraglim. There's something going on that's a little bit fishy, right? Something's going on, Moshe's a little bit unsafe sure of what's happening, but it's not so clear that he's like, okay, let's call off this mission. Meaning it's not so, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. Yeah, we're not doing this anymore. It's much more complicated than that. So on the one hand, Moshe's kind of kind of anticipating this. On the other hand, he's a little bit nervous about this. Just an interesting little factoid. The Medrash tells us, where did Moshe get the Yud for Joshua's name? Like as if there's like, we don't have enough letters. You, I don't know. We have to recycle the letters. But, but it says that when, when Sarai, do you remember Sarai? That was Sarah before her name was changed. Her name was Sarai. When her name was changed and she lost her Yud, the Yud went and complained to God and said, I was connected to a righteous woman. Like, what am I, chopped liver? Where, what happens to me? And God's like, I got, I, I got a good one for you. And so Moshe takes the Yud from Sarai's name and gives it to Hosea to make him Yehoshua. Now we could say like, okay, that's weird. Cause it is, you know, like what different, like with the letter, the letters are Google God, I don't know, whatever. What, what really is Moshe doing? What, when we say, I'm giving you the letter from Sarai to Yehoshua, what do we know about Sarai or Sarah and Eretz Yisrael? She's the, 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 the first of the four, of the, of the, of the four, of the four, the four mother of the, are they called four mothers and four fathers? No. Matriarch, whatever. She's the, she's the first of the matriarchs, okay? But also the first place in the land of Israel that was acquired on behalf of the Jewish people was acquired for her, for her burial place. And she had an incredible, incredible, incredible love of Eretz Yisrael. So when Moshe says, I'm giving you Sarai's Yud, I'm not just giving you the letter because I can't find another Yud. We, we can't print another Yud. That's not what I'm doing. I'm giving you, her love and her dedication and her Messiah Nefesh to the land of Israel, because that's what you need to do. There's something going on about this thing. Moshe's a little bit unsettled about the whole, the whole situation. So Moshe tells them, and he gives them very, very clear instructions. And what are the instructions that Moshe gives the people? And verse uh, from 17, 18, 19, 20, what does he tell them to do? Uh, oh, sorry, in Shlach, in Shlach. Yeah. Okay. So so Moshe gives them very clear instructions. Now, if I give you a job to do and you come back and you give me the answer and I don't like your answer, do I get to like, you know, the people that we know, we know what happens to the spies that come back. They come back, they tell us, they, they, they go up, they're going to go up, they're going to go up through Hebron and they're going to see all the people there and they're going to come to Nachaleshkol and they're going to take, uh, they're going to take uh, grapes and a fig and a pomegranate and the, the Rashi brings down from the, from the Gemara, it took eight people to carry a cluster of grapes. They had, they had like two sticks going in and each, there were eight people carrying a cluster of grapes, which by the way, parenthetically, whoever is it, uh, decided that the symbol of tourism in Israel is 
a cluster of grapes covered carried by two people. I think they didn't read the story properly because that wasn't that wasn't really wasn't really such a good thing in the end, right? And then one person carries a pomegranate, one person carries a fig. So it's not like, you know, they were so, so tweaklings and stuff. The, the fruit was tremendous. It was giant. It was very, very big. And they come back after 40 days and they come to Moshe and to Aaron and to all the people. Everybody's waiting for them to come back. Um, you want to read, Sarah? 27. What do they tell them? What do they come and they say? They show them, they come, they show, they tell everybody, they show them the fruit. And what do they say? 27. Land. Yeah. We arrived at the land to which you sent us, and indeed it flows with milk and honey, and this is fruit. But the people that dwells in the land is powerful. The cities are fortified and very great, and we also saw there the offspring of the giant. Right. They, they, then they name drop all these people who the, the Jewish people are afraid of, and then we have Jamie. What happens in thirty? Thirty. Yeah. Um, yeah, Caleb silenced the people toward Moshe and said, We shall surely ascend and conquer it, for we can surely do it. Okay, keep going. And what do the people who are with him but say? The men who ascended with him said, We cannot ascend to the people, for it is too strong for us. Keep going. They brought forth to the children of Israel an evil report on the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have passed to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw in it were huge. There we saw the Nephilim, right. the sons of the giant from among the Nephilim. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and so we were in their eyes. Okay. Now, right? We were like grasshoppers in our eyes. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and so we were in their eyes. Now, if you've taken even one psychology class, you know what that is, right? little transference going on over here. This is how I look at myself. So I assume that's how you look at me. So there were no giants? There were, oh. there were, there were very, very massive people. But it's how they saw themselves. The, the, the grasshopper part of it is their perception of themselves in relation. Now you could say there were lots of tall people. They were very little. Have you ever seen a little kid walking through a crowd of adults and they kind of feel very small? That's how they felt about themselves. And that's how they felt that people were looking at them as insignificant as grasshoppers, as, as you know, the measure says that they heard somebody saying, oh, there's grasshoppers with the face of people. I don't know exactly how it worked. No, 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 no. There are seven nations that are living in the seven Canaanite nations. Well, they're not only Canaanite, they're all different nations. They're living in the land of Israel. And so Moshe says to the people, go check it out. Go see what's happening. Now they came back and they said, it's beautiful, but we can't do this. So if you send them on a mission, you can't just say, we're only going to accept the report that we want to hear, right? Like that's not, that doesn't seem to be an on, you know, honest information. Like if, if I ask you to go and check it out and you come back and you tell me, and it wasn't, it didn't match my expectations, do I have a right to chop off your head? Now, Moshe doesn't go chop off their head. They're actually going to get punished from God. Everybody starts crying. It becomes a balagan. Then Rashi brings down that it was the night of Tishabov, and Hashem says, I'm going to give you guys a reason to cry for generations. Um, and, and this is when they're going to get the, the decree that they're going to stay in the desert for 40 years. These people are not going to the land of Israel. You don't want to go to the land of Israel? Fine. You're not going to the land of Israel. You're all going to die in the desert. Your children, who you're so worried about, they're going to go to the land of Israel. And, 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 uh, and, and that's what's going to happen. Only Kalev and Yeshua are going to go, and that's, that's the end of the conversation. Um, and, 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 and Yehoshua and Kalev keep trying to fight for Eretz Yisrael, right? They say, It's a very, very, very good land. If we want, if Hashem wants, we could do it. They're saying, please just don't rebel against God. No, no happening. And, and Hashem says the, 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 the 10 people who came back with bad reports, they're going to actually die on the spot. Um, and the rest of the people are going to die in the desert. Now, it seems a little bit unfair, honestly. Like, either don't send them or don't fault them for giving you, an inf giving you information that you didn't want to hear, right? So if we, if we look at the two stories together, we're going to end up having a, seeing a little bit more of a complex picture of the whole situation. The Jews are coming to the land of Israel. Their assumption is, oh, I want to preface with a very, uh, one thing. The Shalah HaKadosh says 
that the pro- Moshe's fault was that he sent men. It says, Shlach Nashim, he sent men. If he would have sent women, women have a proven track record of, of uh, loving Hashem, and they would never have come back with such a terrible report. So the problem was that he sent men. That's what the Shalach Kader says. But if you take a look at for a second, so the people here, they're at the edge of the, the edge of, uh, their edge of, at the edge of Eretz Yisrael. They could see it, right? We've all, we've, we can see across, you know, if you're close enough. And the question is, what is the best thing for us to do? Now, the, the Jews till this point have been living an incredibly, incredibly miraculous life. The way they left Egypt, the way the plagues, crossing the sea, revelation, mana, like there's nothing about their lives that's normal. Nothing. Everything is crazy miraculous. And they're saying, wait a second, if we need to go to the land of Israel, we have to put on normal attitude. We can't go miraculous. So if we're going to go normal, so we need to send spies, we need to figure out how we can do it. So that's where we have, that's Moshe's telling of the story. Even though Moshe describes that story and, and Rashi brings out that it was extremely chaotic and very um, not done in a nice way. It was a very, uh, it's described as like mob-like kind of coming to Moshe. But, but Hasidus explains it, do, if we need to go to the land of Israel where the natural law works, then we need to do things naturally, okay? So we're gonna do things naturally, let's send spies. Now, what happens to our spying expedition? If you send spies, you don't send 12 people. You know, they're not very inconspicuous. So Hashem says, we're gonna send, we're gonna take that, we're gonna take your initiative and we're gonna up it a little bit because what I need you to do is I need you to go to Eretz Yisrael and I need you to fall in love with the land. I want you to go. So Shlach is Hashem's overlay to their original request. They're like, we're going to go do this normally, like regular people, we got to figure out how to do this. And Hashem's like, you know what? Go tour the land, go visit, go all around the country and see what's going on. And if you, and, and once you're there, you'll come back and you'll just, you know, when you see it and you walk around the country and you fall in love with it, and then you figure out, then the detail, the details are almost not so important. The biggest, so that's where Hashem, so we're upping this. We're not taking two people going and buying them out. Later on, when Joshua is going to cross with the people in the land of Israel, he's in fact going to take two people and send them to spy it out because they have to be working in a, in a, in a regular world. When, when Hashem says to Moshe, do what you want, Moshe sees this as Hashem's trust in the people saying, we've, I've given you everything I've given you, but now you need to take it and you need to run with it. And there is a part Rashi says that Moshe really thought that if he told the people Sure, you could go. Sure, you could go. Not a problem, not a problem. They wouldn't, you know, Rashi brings the example of somebody who wants to rent a, a donkey from a person and the guy's like, can I test, can I test drive your donkey? And he's like, sure. And he's like, can I, can I take it on hills? Can I take it in planes? Can I take it on road? Whatever, all over. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, okay, fine. Because you're so confident and it's so easy for me to see if you're right or wrong with your confidence, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to let it go. And he, and he, and he just does the rental. So Moshe's figures, if he, if he says yes to them, they're going to, Hashem said this land is beautiful. Hashem said this land is, is, is amazing and you can go there. So he thought that, you know, if he said, yeah, 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 they would say, okay, fine, we're, we're going to go. Now, if you remember last week, we pointed out there were two psukim of the, the, of the, um, the, the, the book that didn't get written. Remember? The Jews make them, the go with the ark, the, the upside down, right? So, so there's a, the Jews are making one mistake as they're going into the land of Israel. They are looking at it as a sum total game. Either or, either we live miraculous existence or we're totally bound to the laws of nature. And if we have to go to the land of Israel, then we have to be totally bound to the laws of nature. But there was a version where they could have gone to the land of Israel and not totally be bound to the laws of nature right? They could have said, had they followed Hashem into the land of Israel, like they decided that we had to go fight for this. Could there have been another version of the story? Could they have gone in with the ark with Moshe and the, the, the spiritual force would have just emptied, but because they chose to go in with a natural order. So they, they kind of discounted that ability. They discounted that possibility of just coming in and miraculously taking over the land of Israel. And it becomes a slow process there. In, in 40 years, it's going to take them 14 years to get the land of Israel. But, but the other thing that's going to happen over here 
is they're going to overstep their mission. They said, we want to go spy the land. And Hashem says, go and check it out. Go toward it. Go bring back some fruit. Go bring back some, you know, go see the people, go see the cities, go see what's happening. Hashem isn't telling, Hashem isn't asking them, can we do this? And that's really where the, where the, 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 the fault of the Moragum is. Had they just come back and said, the people are massive, the fruit is massive, the cities are like this, da, 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 da. they would have just reported what they saw. It wouldn't have been an issue. But what do they come back and they say? They come back and they say, this is the thing. And in verse 25, sorry, verse 28, they say, Ephes ki az ha'am. however, the people are too strong. We can't do it. That was never their mandate. The question wasn't, can we conquer the land or can't we conquer the land? The question was just, what's the best route to take? What's the way to go? How do we go there? How do we bring back the fruit and say, look at this land? That's not what they end up doing. They end up going, making a judgment call. And when they make a judgment call, they go against Hashem. Because Hashem's question wasn't, can we conquer the land of Israel? I'm God. I'm telling you, we're going to the land of Israel. The question wasn't, can we do it? The question was, how do we do it? How do we do it? And one of the things that Hasidus, you know, that Hasidus explains so, so, so beautifully about the spies, you know, there was all these things that were going on. They say the land eats its inhabitants. I think, Jamie, you read that? The land eats its inhabitants, right? The land eats its inhabitants. So Rashi says that wherever they went, they saw funerals. There were people being buried, dying and being buried all over the time. And they didn't realize that there was a kindness that Hashem did, that people should be so busy burying their dead people that they don't notice there's a group of 12 people checking out the scenario, you know, checking out the scenery and taking pictures and posting it on Instagram. We were in Hebron and all we got was lousy t-shirts. That's not what they're doing. You know, like that's not really, they, they look around, they see these people are massive. They, they live fast and furious lives and they die early. And we don't want to do that. That's just not what we can do. But I have a question. Yeah. So it was 10, 10 people from the tribes? There were 12. There were 12. Yeah, but 10 of them. 12 are from the tribes. There's one from every single tribe. You have Kalev and Yehoshua, and then you have the other 10. They end up being split along those two lines. Yeah, but I say, from the ones who spoke badly about Israel were 10, right? Yes. Okay. So why then the entire Jewish nation got punished? Right. So the question, so there's two different things that happen. One is them coming back and, and giving a bad report. So they get punished for their bad report. But then how did the people respond to that? How did all the people, and the Torah describes it, that the people started crying and crying and crying. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, what? Do we have another opinion? There were two other people there saying, this land is beautiful. This land is gorgeous. The ice coffee is amazing. The ice cream is great. The cucumbers and tomatoes are beautiful. Right? Uh, Right, right. You remember, like, like the, that's the question. The people's reaction causes them to get punished as well. I mean, there's two different things that go on. The spies who came back and gave a bad report, they end up getting killed immediately. The other people who bought into their supply to their to the end, let's you know, like there was a certain amount of drama and there was a certain amount of hysteria, and they whipped up the people, and the people went along with it. Now, do they? They, they, you know they always had the free choice, but we do, you know, like to not buy into it, but, but, but they did, but they did buy into it. And, and whether they all hyped each other up and said, well, you know, we can't do this. We, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, let's go back to Egypt. They bought into the, into the reply. And because they bought into the reply, that's why they get punished. Not because they came back and gave a bad report, not because of that. They came back and they said, we can't do this. Now, Hasidah says really, 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 What's the deal here? How do people, Hashem handpicks the people and says, you know, go and, and do this. How does it go south so quickly? How does it get ruined so fast? Right? Like what, what's going on over here? And, and, the, and the, the thing, one of the things that Hasidus focuses on a lot is their attitude where they were sent to just go in and take a look. And there was a place where they were, they even... Moshe, what does Moshe want to pray? He say, he wants, he's praying for Yoshua to be saved from the advice of the Moraglim. There's some place where they're not seeing themselves as such tourists. They're seeing themselves as spies. They're not buying the mission completely. Not enough to, to, to cancel the, 
permission, but there's some kind of talk going on that makes Moshe a little bit uncomfortable. When they come to Hebron, Kalev goes and he davens by the Avais. He goes there and he davens not to be drawn into the eights of the Maragrim. Again, that place, of, there's some kind of suggestion that they have, there's some kind of advice, there's some kind of game plan that they have that is not 100% in line with Hashem's game plan. And Kalev and Yoshua, Yoshua, because of Moshe and Kalev because of his own virtue, Davin not to be part of that. They don't want to be part of whatever that situation is. They don't want to be there. They don't want to be, they don't want, they don't want to be involved in it. Because it is, what was their whole big deal? Like, what was this situation? And, and the key that they talk about is Eretz Ochelet Yoshvehi, that it's a land that eats its inhabitants, right? Here they were coming, they were coming and they were saying the people were physically, they were dying all over the place. The place, the, the place eats their land. What were the Moraglim saying? Eretz, that place of Artsyut, that place of Gashmias, it eats you up. It, 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 it takes over your life. They said, we want to stay in the desert. In the desert, we don't have to shop. We don't have to cook. We don't have to buy clothes. Everything's taken care of. What do we do in the desert? We sit and we learn Tyra. We're going to have to go to the land of Israel and be farmers. Do you know how much effort it takes to farm? When are we going to learn Tyra? How are we going to... Dobbin with a minion. How are we? Well, I don't know if I had Dobbin with a minion at that point, but how are we going to? We know how to be Jews isolated from the world. Give us a desert. Give us Moshe. Give us mana. We're good. We can have a relationship with Hashem. Go to the land of Israel, be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief, and still have a relationship with Hashem. No, 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 no. We can't do that. That's too much for us. That we can't do. We will be eaten up alive by the daily needs. And look at our own lives. You know, we see it, we see it in ourselves. So much of our life is about process and about doing things. It's not about what we want to be doing. We end up having a job so we can have money, so we can buy something that we need for we don't spend all our time, you know, for bringing and, and having Shabbos, even to have Shabbos. You need to make money to buy the food. You have to cook, buy the food, you have to buy the food, you have to cook the food, you have to clean up like. How long does Shabbos last? And how many days did we put into preparation for Shabbos? And they said, we can't have a relationship with Hashem in the desert. I'm sorry, in the land of Israel. We just can't. It's just not physically possible to do everything that we want to do in a space where we also have to take care of our physical needs. We will, you know, the Talmud brings example. If you, if you, I forgot which of the Tanaim say that if you plant when you're supposed to plant and you harvest when you're supposed to, when you're supposed to harvest, what will happen with your Torah learning? When will you have a chance to learn? You're so busy doing life and things. When are you going to, when are you going to develop a relationship with God? And the Muragam like, no, no, we don't want to do that. So now if you look at it from that vantage point, did they in fact get punished? By not being let into the land of Israel. No. no, they didn't get punished. We look at them and say they got punished, they're gonna die in the desert. And what did they in fact get? Huh? Because Hashem heard, Hashem heard where they were coming from. Hashem heard that there is a time. This is my little take on the situation because I didn't actually discuss this with God, but <laughs> There is a time in everybody's life as us as individuals and us as a nation where you need to be immersed in the desert. You need to have that time. You need to stay, you need to stay there. And he understood that for these people who moved so quickly, so fast, it was too fast. They couldn't go into the land of Israel. They weren't ready to make that jump, even though Hashem, the purpose of all of creation was to make a home for God and dear him and da-da-da. You don't make that in the desert. There's nothing to do in the desert when we talk about. The Nisachim, remember we talked about the libations. It pours from above to below. That's the carbon, the sacrifice is going up, right? So running to Hashem. And the libation is come, pulling it down to the earth. It's going to pour through the Mizbech and it's going to come down. That's Shub, that's coming down and making a, a home for Hashem here. Hashem understood that these people are going to be the paradigm of Ratzai without Shub. They, the, they are not going to be the ones are going to be able to, to, to make that transition, but their children will be able to. And so for these people, it wasn't a punishment. What did they end up doing? They ended up, they were in the desert for the next 38 years, 
everybody knew exactly when they were going to die. They died, the, you know, the Gemara tells us that on the night of Tisha B'Av, every year, all the people who were turning 60 that year would dig a grave. And in the morning, they wouldn't, there's two opinions. Did all the men dig graves? Or did only the people who were turning 60 dig a grave? They went to sleep. Because that was considered a full life, 60 years old. So at 60, they, they, uh, they would, the night on Tisha B'Av, what? It was always Tisha B'Av. The night before Tisha B'Av, they would dig a grave. They would go to sleep there. That means you knew exactly. You didn't have a heart attack and drop dead in the street and not have a chance to say goodbye, make a will, you know, give last anything. They knew exactly when they were going to die. And they had all the time. What did they end up doing? They were learning Torah. They were for praying with Moshe. They had mana. They had, they got what they needed. And, 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 and their children were going to be able to go into, into the land of Israel. And they were going to be able to, to take on the challenge of parenthetically the last year that the jews were in the desert year 40 on the night of tisha B'av, they all went into the graves and they woke up in the morning and they all woke up when the morning came they all woke up so they thought maybe they miscalculated and so they the next night again they went into their graves and they slept and again and again till the 15th of av when it's a full moon for that for, for the month of av and so they knew that it wasn't that we miscalculated it was that we were forgiven that hashem gave a grace so at the end, it's a very weird generation that goes into the land of Israel. The, the men between the age who were at this decree were between the ages of 20 and 60. Well, really 20 and 59. That whole generation is missing. You have a bunch of old women. You have a bunch of kids. You don't have that middle generation of men is kind of missing. It's going to be an interesting generation, but it's going to be Yoshua's issue to deal with it. Um, as soon as the decree comes down, as soon as the decree comes down, that they're not going to the land of Israel, they're going to stay there. There was a group of people that said, no, 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 no. We want to go. We want to go. We want to go. We made a mistake. Okay. And Moshe's like, don't go. It's going to be, it's over here. Uh, one second. Let me show you where it is. Um, um, well, it's interesting. Just, I want to say two interesting things before I come to these people. Hashem wants to wipe out the Jewish people because they're crying and they're complaining again. You know what Moshe's winning argument to Hashem is? What are the Egyptians going to say? What are the Egyptians going to say? He's over here in, in verse 13. He's like, they're going to say against us, you were strong enough, but against all the, the kings of the land of Israel or the land of Canaan, you weren't strong enough. That's Moshe's winning argument. And I want to say, you know, Golda Meir said, you know, um, shmum, who cares about what like the UN says? That's, that was her, her very famous quote. There is a certain place where we do have to figure out how we fit into the world of the nations and of their opinion of us. Not enough for us to like lie down and die when it's you know convenient for them. But to, to say we don't care what the world says, Moshe here is going to prove that that's not really true. We do want to be doing the right thing in the eyes of, of the world as well. I'm not talking about this last uh, situation where we could do no right, but in a normal in a normal situation, in a normal situation, we can't just totally discount what the world is going to say about it. That is Moshe's winning argument. Anyway, because he said they're going to say God couldn't do it against us. He could. So they, uh, he brings, he uses the, the 13 attributes of mercy for Hashem. And, um, and, then, and then they get punished. And then Hashem's like, fine, I'm not going to kill them all now. I'm going to kill them slowly. And, and that's what's going to happen. And then after that, we have these people who say, no, 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 we're going to go to land of Israel. And Moshe's like, bad idea. That window of opportunity for going in open and closed. You missed it. And they said, no, 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 we're going to go and we're going to conquer when it's going to be great. And they go and they all get killed. And that, that, that group of people is called the Mapilim, that they went up and they all got killed. They tried to go into the land of Israel and they all got killed. An interesting um, juxtaposition between the Moraglim, the spies who did not want to go into the land of Israel. We know that later on in year 40, when it's going to be time for the Jews to go into the land of Israel, the daughters of Tzalafchad are going to come to Moshe and they're going to say, give us a portion of the land of Israel. Our father died of his own sin and he did not. Uh, and we, he has no sons. So we want the portion of the sons. And, um, and, and the different Mepharshim say he was either, they, basically what they're saying, he wasn't part of the Korach rebellion. He did his own thing. So either the different opinions are given, either he was from the Mapilim, he was of the people who decided to go into the land of Israel after Hashem said, no, you lost the opportunity. Or he was the person who's gathering trees on Shabbos because he wanted to show how important keeping Shabbos was. And either way, he was, it was his own thing. So we kind of, in this partial, we have the juxtaposition between the men who didn't want to go into the land of Israel 
and the women who really were fighting for a place and for the people who wanted to. Why did you change your minds? Why did the people change their minds? Because when they re- when they saw God's response to their their overreaction, they're like, "Oh, we made a mistake." And at that point, they're like, "Okay, fine, we'll do it." And God's like, "No, you, you're not going to do it now. You lost your chance. You can't do this." It's like we had this window. You didn't take it, and now you, you know. And and this is something I want to kind of in our my bracha to all of us. Knowing what Hashem wants of me right now is a very hard thing to do. It's very hard. When you're in the desert and you have a Moshe guiding you, it's like, it's a lot easier because Moshe says, this is what we're doing now, this is what we're not doing now. But I want to give us a bracha. First of all, for many of us, our next step is we're leaving the land of Israel, meaning our going into the land of Israel is actually not in the land of Israel. It's our next step in our Avedis Hashem is not coming into the land of Israel, but going to wherever we came from and and being, you know, the light that we're meant to be over there. Um, and, and it's so easy to put our own agenda into the story. And that's really what the spies ended up doing. They said, what is the better thing for us? To, what do we think the better thing for us to do is? And the better thing for us to do is to not go into the land of Israel. And Hashem did, in fact, give them their space. He said, fine, you stay. You don't go into the land of Israel. You stay in the desert. But that's not our job now meaning we've all had a period of time in our version of the desert. We had, we didn't have to take care of stuff. Okay. You have to do your own laundry. Fine. But food was here. All you have to do is sit and learn. And the question is, how do we translate that? And how do we take that inspiration and go to the next place and do it beautifully and honestly and, and faithful to what Hashem wants of us. So I want to give us a bracha that we, we know that where we're going is where we're meant to be now to be able to, hear what Hashem wants of us to be able to be proud Jewish women, even when the, you know, maybe the world doesn't want us to be proud Jewish women, but we are proud Jewish women. We know what Hashem wants of us. We know how to, we're working on learning how to balance. I won't say that we've perfectly got that down. I'm 52 years old. I'm still working on how do we balance. Um, and, but to constantly be aware that it's a balance of what I should be doing versus what I want to be doing and to really be courageous enough to listen to what we know we need to be doing. And that's going to really bring the most benefit to ourselves and to Hashem and to the world around us. And this is our last class in person. And I really want to bless all of you that as you go and you talk about the land of Israel to the people around you, you remember to tell everybody, it's a beautiful, beautiful land. It's a place to come and to learn and to have some iced coffee as well, for sure. And, um, and to be able to, to spread your light, even if your light currently is not in the land of Israel. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. My pleasure.